Thanks for tuning in to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thirst for More podcast was created to help strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, fitness enthusiasts, and anyone that loves lifting heavy shit all be connected under one roof. We take deep dives into coaching, programming and training, running gyms, nutrition, and overall improving your knowledge in the field of strength and conditioning. If you're new here, I'm glad you're able to tune in and hope you can just take away one awesome piece of information today to help you along with your journey. If you're a returning supporter, I appreciate you being along for the ride. Now let's dive into today's episode. On episode 33 of the Thirst Bar Podcast, I sit down with friend Jim Beebe, owner of Unbreakable Athletics Academy in Plainfield, Indiana. I got to know Jim many years ago at an event at his facility where I was helping run a table and booth, and we kind of got to talk about training, and ever since, we've really been connected. Jim is also a former graduate of Purdue University, so we kind of kicked things off there as well, and stayed in touch, and have talked all things training, from youth athletic development, CrossFit, and everything in between. In today's episode, we talk about his awkward intro into the fitness space, and what ultimately drove him to leave the financial realm and field to join the fitness space. He since then has a 10,000 square foot facility working with general population people, CrossFit, and youth athletes, helping athletes go play at the Division 1, 2, 3, and professional level. So we talk about that, but also we talk about the mental aspect of developing athletes. That seems to be where Jim is really putting a lot of his focus lately, and we really discuss where he plans to take his company, Athlete Builder, to help athletes. So sit down and enjoy this episode with good friend Jim Beebe. All right, what's up, everyone? Brandon here from Thirst More Podcast. I'm here with Jim Beebe from Unbreakable Athletics. How are you doing, Jim? Good, 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 good to be with you. Yeah, I uh, appreciate you being on. We've got some awesome things to talk about here. It looks like you've got a lot of experience in a lot of different places, uh, and I really want to kind of highlight some of those. But the, the first thing I really want to know more about, because I just don't truly know the history of Unbreakable, um, give us a background of how Unbreakable Athletics came to be and then you know what was your driving factor of uh founding it boy i've done a two-minute answer and a 60-minute answer on that question so my background is finance and investing math i always wanted to be an athlete as a kid growing up it didn't have a lot of resources with support or money so i didn't really play a lot of a lot of sports growing up always wanted to was moderately athletic did some basketball in high school Got cut my sophomore year, went to a really competitive high school. They just won their 55th state title yesterday, or on Friday. And uh, I didn't really play much, so I ended up just playing local racquetball at a club, but didn't really, didn't really go anywhere, in it, which is totally fine. I was good at math, went to school for initially engineering because I was good at math, but really just wanted to be in business um, ultimately and switched uh, to business pretty quickly at Purdue. Graduated in 93. And entered the uh, investment world, banking, uh, hedge fund, trading, things like that. Did that for 15 years. Picked up my master's degree from Purdue along the way. And I uh, started at J.P. Morgan right in the middle of the housing bubble in 08, 09, really in 09. And I was came on in the private bank there as an associate. In the private bank at J.P. Morgan or private banks anywhere, you deal with all the really affluent clients, the really wealthy ones. And we, I was in that group for three years and it kept growing and growing. And it was time for the associates to move up or out. So that at that point, they put a big target out there and said you had to bring in 
I'm not kidding, $100 million in assets into the bank, whether it's loans or investments. And those that did, which was a small percentage, they moved up. And the rest of us, our entire team got forced out. We brought in $60 million that year, which a lot of banks, it's a 10-year goal. Um, but at JP Morgan, the big 900-pound gorilla, it wasn't good enough. And that's just the way it is. And um, I'm 36, 37 at that point. I've been doing finance and investments for 15 years. And I'm thinking, is that really still what I want to do or be when I grow up? And when I looked at the different clients that we had there, one of the main commonalities was that those that accumulate a decent amount of wealth were those that were doing something that was they were passionate about, something that they really liked, loved. And so I did some soul searching and, and assessments. And I was like, I really like sports and athletics and would want to work with teams and getting people better physically. By 2011, I was anything but, you know, in shape at that point. I've been in a sedentary job. I couldn't run a mile. Um, I'm sure I couldn't bench press, bench press or squat more than one half or one times body weight, one, one and a half times body weight, 270 pounds. I was under 200 on both those lifts. And I was out of breath going upstairs or playing with my kids who were young at that point. And I'm like, well, at least while I'm here at JP Morgan, which I should at least be working on my health at least. So I just joined the craze with P90X and started doing things in my living room and got healthier that way. Added some 5Ks and the goals initially were don't stop running, don't finish the last. And that was it. And I would add another piece and then do another run and then maybe a, a 10K. And at, at that point, I kept evolving, getting better, eating better, learning a little bit more. Still a while I'm at the bank. And I kind of graduated to group training. I'm training downtown at NIFS in Indianapolis. And then I find a local CrossFit gym at the time was CrossFit Naptown. So I go over there and I start getting healthier there. I'm like, I'm kind of liking this. I'm liking being in better shape. I'm liking to be able to move. I'm actually moving some weight. Started running more, ran some half, more, uh, some half marathons, did some CrossFit competitions. I thought, you know, I'm going to get certified and see what it's like to be an instructor. And then it kind of qualifies you for opening a CrossFit affiliate, which I ended up doing. So when I, the bank got rid of me in the middle of 12, I used the next few months in 2012 to completely rearrange my whole identity in my life. I took a book off the shelf about writing a business plan and I wrote a business plan on how to open and operate a gym. So I started teaching people some CrossFit right on my garage and did that for several months. And then by March of 13, um, the phrase with me is all in or not at all. So if I want a good shot at being good at anything, I should be all in and not be a part-time coach. And then back in the investment world, I should be in one or the other. So I wrote my business plan. I secured some funding and signed a lease in a 10,000 square foot facility, which I had no equipment and definitely not enough members to pay the bills. And I'm like, I'll figure it out. So two things to learn there. One was how do you get better at training athletes? And then how do you run a business? At that point, all my investment experience was dealing with loans or the stock market or currency trading. So big ticket investments is way different than small business investments and dealing with all the small little day-to-day -day things. So I had to literally drink through a fire hose for 10 years and there was two fire hoses. One, how do you get better at athletes and how better at the business? So I started going to other seminars. And so I went to Shane Sweat seminar on conjugate training. And then I did a USA 
USA powerlifting seminar, then one on strongman, and then a nutrition one, and getting more and more certificates. Meanwhile, I'm learning how to run a business that's real small. So it was a challenging several years. And uh, March of 23, I, I just surpassed 10 years. And the whole why I did it is that I was tired of being out of shape and unhealthy. So I wanted to learn how to do that first. And then I wanted to learn how to train adults and kids. So hired some other folks to learn from them. And then so really what it is, is I met that unmet need as a child of wanting to be great at athletics and sports. So now what do I do now? I help kids and adults be better at the, either the sport of life or the sports that they play in, in high school and college. So that's a long answer, but that's how I got there. And that's why I do it. And that's what I plan to do. Awesome. Yeah. That's a very motivating to say the least. I think any body that's in here that tries to understand what it's like to open a business. Cause I, I mean, my story is not quite that extravagant cause I obviously went to school to try to do this. So I, I at least had that in the back of my mind. I think, I think anybody that gets in strength and conditioning in the back of their head, they're think, thinking about opening their own place. They're a fool if they don't say that. That's a pipe dream of almost everybody. Just it's a question of, do I want to deal with the business and the headache aspect of it? Or do I just want to coach more? I think that's kind of what boils truly boils down to what people want to do. Um, but from your background with that, in terms of the CrossFit aspect of it, I guess that's obviously, it looks like that was your, from a lifting perspective, it seems like that was your stepping stone to maybe get uh, to bite the bullet and kind of go into this. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how your business operates from the CrossFit side, but then also the sports performance side, and then also the strongman. Because I get people that come to me sometimes like, hey, do you know I can do anywhere with strongman? And I honestly just tell them I go to you guys. Like if you guys want to do strongman, the closest place to Terre Haute that's going to have anything and everything you need from the atmosphere to the equipment, the coaching to go to unbreakable because you guys are really only about 50 minutes from my gym. So like, that's really not a bad commute for a strongman training facility of, in my opinion. But um, so I guess how do the inner workings of your CrossFit and sports performance business work together? So what's great about CrossFit is that it's, it's that gateway drug to almost everything in the strength and conditioning world it's that you can learn a lot of different components. There's the endurance uh, aspect. There's the strength building. There's the Olympic lifting. And then there's the, the teammate uh, component as well. So all those different endeavors are funneled into CrossFit. And what CrossFit does is makes you really average and good at everything. So you're a well-rounded person. From there, a lot, of, a lot of folks like me, they'll gravitate one way or another. You'll see folks really liking the Olympic lifting or the gymnastics or just the strength piece or the strongman because everything and everything moves in there. So we changed the name of our gym to Unbreakable Athletics because it incorporates more than just CrossFit. So if we did just CrossFit, then no kids would come. If we just did, called it Unbreakable Sports Performance, that's geared towards kids, so then no adults will come. So we put the academy piece there because it there's an umbrella that just we don't care what you really train for. We care that you have a reason to train and we want to train you towards that. So on the 10,000 square feet, you know, like any other business, you allocate resources based on ROI, return on investment. So the majority of our athletes that come are adults. So the majority of the gym and equipment and resources is geared towards the CrossFit piece. The student athletes that only come, you know, a couple sessions at night because they're in school all day long. And so there's a smaller section of the gym geared towards them. And then 
as you know, in the strength world, powerlifters and strongmen, there's that's a very small demographic. Yes. Not not many folks want to do that. So there's a small piece dedicated towards it. And then strongman is even smaller than powerlifting. So there aren't many folks at all. And that has ebbed and flowed with us where we've had on a Sunday session, we'll have 20 people doing strongman such stuff. And then we can go a month without seeing anybody. So the strongman and the powerlifters, I find and it's a huge generalization that it could be a, sometimes introverted and they want to just train by themselves or they rather just train their own way and they don't want to work with anybody else or they want to just buy their equipment and train it out of their garage, which is also typical. So you're right. We have all the toys, but again, there's a very small demographic that wants to do them. What I like is that with the sports performance piece and the CrossFitters, there's a lot of overlap. So the CrossFitters can be moving all the different implements because that's what CrossFit is. It's constantly varied. And for kids, it's, it builds their confidence. If you can big, pick up some farmer's handles and carry them, or you can hold a stone or just hold different sandbags. And so mentally that's, it's pretty cool to see that you can do these things, but then also there's the, the physical benefits of being able to be, be under tension and hold, hold the weight. And also we have different coaches that work with the CrossFitters and we have different ones that work with the kids and then bring the strength athletes. That's usually the only ones I work with. And the Got kids it. and the coaches that work with the kids are usually ones that played, you know, they all play college sports. So they understand what that's like. And um, they're trained differently with the younger kids. I like how you put it out in yours that the younger kids, we want them to move well. And then as you get like the middle school, you want to move well and move a little bit more with purpose. And then by high school, you want to move well, move more with purpose. And then they're trying to win, right? Right. Yep. Trying to win something, make the varsity team or play in college or something along those lines. Right. Crossfitters just want to be healthier and look better with their clothes off, right? Yep. Better heart scan number, better visceral fat, visceral fat number. So. Gotcha. How many from the, this is one thing that I talk to about people at CrossFit and as a, somebody that has owned a gym working with CrossFitters, do you find that when it comes to like the programming piece, are you guys programming more for the general adult athlete that comes in to again, look better, feel better, move better? Or are you trying to give them quote unquote CrossFit game style of level of training? Definitely not the latter. And I've done most of the program for, the 10 years, but we also outsource and learn some other things from other folks, just trying to get a different flavor sometimes, but only 7% of kids play college sports. And it's a much smaller percentage of adults make it to the CrossFit games. So those people are young, right? Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of demand on those athletes, just like any other pro athlete. And we're in Plainfield, Indiana, where it's soccer moms and soccer dads. So that amount of volume alone, they're nowhere near. So will they snatch like the crossfitters do at the games? Yeah, we'll be snatching, but it's just a lighter weight, learn some different things neurologically, some balance and things, but they're not getting overly heavy. Are we doing gymnastics like the other crossfitters? Yeah, because you need to move your body well. Are we doing tons and tons of handstand walks? No, right? I'd rather have them just carry some dumbbells over their head and so the, the risk reward is better and more people can do it, but so we're doing what the games athletes do on just a much smaller scale. And, and again, no one comes to me typically and says, I want to go to the games or I want to go to regionals. They right. want to maybe do a local competition, 
right? Which I liken to doing like a local 10K. You know, it's hard, but a lot of folks can do it. And so we, they might train to that level of intensity, but beyond that, you know, there's only, a, you know, really one gym in the greater Indianapolis area. Um, and a couple, there's always a few individuals in every state that can advance to regionals. And we've had people make it to the quarterfinal or the next round out of the open from our gym, but they're always in the age group category. They're always in the master's categories. So we have had people advance to that, but to go to the games, that's not how we program or coach or expect. And that's not our demographic. That's very, very rare. Right. I think that's a, a key takeaway because um, when people talk about CrossFit, there's usually a negative stigma. And I think, like you said, it does make you very well-rounded and any, any powerlifter, strongman, weightlifter, that's been around for a while knows that the best thing that's happened to strength sports is CrossFit. It's funneled people to our specific genres because of, again, they start very general, just like any kind of, um, any kind of development, you start general and you get specific. Same thing. If you get new people in, if you can start on general, give them a little bit of taste of everything, then they're going to drift towards, like you said, the strength or the strongman or the weightlifting or the gymnastics, they drift towards what they like, or maybe even competitive CrossFit. Um, and then that ultimately helps the strength sport athletes. And like you talk about return on investment, usually for strength sport athletes, they're, you're not going to make a living just having a powerlifting gym like Westside Barbell. Louis Simmons is definitely the uh, an anomaly there. Um, but what I was going to with that is that when you do that, you open up more revenues for those, I guess. And I think when people look at CrossFit, then you understand that, they're good CrossFit gyms are not going to program for the games. They're going to program for the people that are in front of them, understanding what their goals are. Like you said, move better, feel better. And that if, if anybody is ever wondering about how to determine a CrossFit gym, I would talk to them about their programming first and foremost and what their goals are for their athletes that come in. Because if they say, Oh, we want everybody to do the open and try to get so-and-so here, that may not be the best fit unless if your goal, like we said, is to go to the games. Um, so I guess from a, from a CrossFit programming perspective, how do you go about doing the programming on a weekly basis? Like do you do you have particular days that you're doing particular skills and qualities that you're focusing on? Is it uh, always a little bit of everything each day? I'm curious to hear how you take the programming for the CrossFit first. Sure. So when I program for the, the CrossFit piece, I base the whole beginning of what I'm trying to do on the uh, conjugate program you see out of West Side Barbell. So Monday's a max effort, lower body day, and then Tuesday's a max effort upper. And that's not how they would do it in the powerlifting world, but we're not trying to mimic powerlifters. So Wednesday is neither one of those. Thursday is dynamic or speed work for lower body, and Friday is the speed work for upper body, and then Saturday's not not either one of those either. On Wednesday and Saturday, their main strength piece is going to be some something that's unusual where it could be just gymnastics and static holds. Or most likely, it's going to be some type of Olympic lifting and or strongman where we're, we're just simply carrying things. And it, typically, I want to make sure our athletes are pulling quite a bit. So I use a lot of rules of thumb. So a two-to-one pull-to-push ratio. So if we're pressing 100 reps in a week, we want to pull 200. So a lot of pull-ups, but a lot of ring rows. I like ring rows, a lot of horizontal pulling more than the vertical. I like chin-ups a little bit more than the pull-ups, but we want people pulling to build up their posterior, build up their backs. Whatever day's main lift was, then I would put in some type of conditioning piece. They call it WADs or Metcons. Uh, 
that complement that day's main movement. So lower body day, you might see on a conditioning piece, maybe some wall balls, which is, you know, squatting with a light ball kind of dynamically, and then maybe a, a short run and then maybe um, something again for their, for their back. So maybe we're doing 10 ring rows. So maybe 20 wall balls run 200 meters, 10 ring rows, and we'll do five rounds. Uh, afterwards, we're probably out of time. I'll typically then have accessories and or core work or both most likely added on after folks get used to the volume of a main strength piece and a conditioning piece, which is just a circuit basically that complements the strength piece that can handle some more volume. So here's some more accessories and here's your core piece. And we kind of, I keep those the same for a month. The thing about the accessories, like they would say in conjugate, you make most of your money, not in the main lift, but in all the other smaller things that you do to help build up the main lift. So the accessories that day would be three rounds of leg curls on a wall ball, and then something else, maybe something, some lateral movement. So maybe it's five rounds of 30 yards of, of sled drags uh, laterally. So that might be, that might be another 10 minutes of uh, one accessory that complements your leg day and then some core work. Maybe it's five rounds of 15 of standing abs with a band or something like that. So at that point, it takes longer than an hour. Most people don't want to stay longer than an hour, but some do. So there's flexibility. If you want more, there's more. If you want, if you only handle what's out there, then handle that. So as you evolve and you improve, you need more volume to keep evolving. So there's, you have to have, have that aspect as well. And since we have some athletes that have been with us eight, nine years, they, they, they want more. Right. On the, on the dynamic effort for the CrossFit people, are, are you doing the typical conjugate stuff where you're, box squatting for speed and binging for speed and deadlifting for speed are you using any different type of variations there or is it pretty classic west side stuff so yes we'll we'll do all those things uh, i'll even incorporate some you know with the with the pressing different hand placements or instead of doing board bench we'll put an ad mat on their chest to simulate like a one or two board but we'll also for the dynamic piece on the lower body we'll do hand cleans or power cleans or snatches or hang, hangs and uh anything from the hangar or power. So with the Olympic lifts, mm -hmm. it's hard to do a squat variation for speed and then do a pull variation uh, for speed. Each one's going to be 10, 12 minutes. So then times two is 25 with some transition plus a warm up of 15 minutes. You know, there's not much time left. So we've crammed that in there before and the pull, like the deadlift or the hang clean might be eight singles every 45 seconds, but that's pretty quick. Usually for us to get everything done in an hour, it's one main piece, but we've, we've done two. And then again, we have a complimentary circuit or a wad or for conditioning. And then there's accessories and, uh, and core work afterwards on the pressing, you know, cross it's more focused on overhead press than, than the bench. So we'll would also incorporate speed work with strict presses or military press or push press or, or jerks. Um, you know, for that component as well. And then gotcha. I uh, add in extra pulling to help build their backs. So always on the accessories with the backs. Right. And then going towards your sports performance athletes on the, the programming there, what does that generally look like? I mean, I think I can have an idea of kind of what you guys are doing, but are you using 
conjugate work with them as well. I guess kind of talk about how your sports performance program works from a programming side. Yeah, we if you can believe it, we use the same ideas with the conjugate as we do uh, with the CrossFitters. We do a sports performance. It's going to be a little different. Um, no real conditioning done there because their sports usually cram enough of that into them. We will have heavier, heavier upper and lower days. We'll have speed upper and lower days. One day is a lot more change of direction. Every day was going to have some kind of explosive component. So even on the heavy lower body days, they'll probably be supersetting with some broad jumps or some seated box jumps to get their, their jumps in. Um, they'll do some circuits, but it's not timed. So they're going to have some rest intervals. We're really trying to you push accessories more there because you, you rest a little bit more so they can grind out more reps. And then there's sometimes for the the really the ones that are in high school or want to play in college, I end up training them. And to be honest, I'll give them sometimes some pieces that you might see like Zach Evanesh do where this isn't really in the textbook, but we're going to suffer a little bit. So you're cool with suffering. So you yeah. might be doing some sleds in a weave with three people, one down, the other one back. And then we're going to go, you know, for a minute straight hard and then a rest. So we'll do some intervals like that. I'm not trying to build their conditioning. I'm trying to build their pain tolerance, um, core work all the time. And the ones that are trying to play in college, I, I push them. It's no longer, Hey, this is fun. That's great. You know, it is somewhat fun, but the fun thing is winning. So if they're yeah. trying to play at that level, they'll understand pretty quickly that their coaches are, being paid for them to win. So they need to get used to that mindset. The last right. piece with those high school and college kids, I try to give them more than just the, the training where it's, here's what we're lifting that day. I'm going to ask them specifically what they had for breakfast, how many grams of protein they had, um, what's their sleep habits like. And um, if I can get them to read at something, that's a miracle, let, let alone maybe they'll listen or watch something so I can make a, an impact there. But I'm trying to really – build up the other five components on building an athlete than just the training. So I end up pumping more into them as much as I can, because again, it comes back to my identity when they win, when they play and they get to advance, then I feel like I'm playing and advancing. And when I was a kid, so my identity is tied to that. So I feel like if my athlete can win, then I win a little bit. So that's, that's where the impetus is there. Right. Yeah. I, I think from a sports performance out there, he said, Going back to Zach Evanesh's stuff, which he's always got a lot of good time. He's been this long time. He's definitely big on the the mental and pain piece. I mean, he's kind of known for his wrestling um, work and his football work with his young athletes that he's had. Um, but like I said, that the textbook doesn't teach some of that stuff. And unfortunately, coming from an academic background like myself, that's never discussed. Never is anything in terms of like um, – sports psychology or, you know, mental toughness or um, resiliency in terms of what it takes from a performance standpoint. I think that gets overlooked way too easily, um, especially if you go to look on Saturdays and Sundays from a football perspective or you watch Big Ten wrestling, the the mental attitude that it takes to be successful at that level is in the top 1% of the world. That's partially why they're there. There's plenty of genetic freaks from an athletic perspective that could go on and play at those levels, but they just don't make it from the mental piece. Um, kind of talking about 
the mental piece, I guess, you know, you're, so you're trying to make some inputs and differences for those kids. I guess when you're having these discussions with these kids or beginning to cultivate that, um, that relationship with them, how do you, I guess, how do you break that off to them? How do you, when you do that during an initial consult meeting that, Hey, this is the way things are going to be. This is what the expectations are, or is there separate things that you're doing outside of just the training? Like you said, it's not like you're sending them stuff. I'm curious what that kind of looks like, I guess, on like a week to week basis when you're seeing these kids. So that's the, the mindset component is at least 90% of their success because at some point your mind's going to tell you to move forward or to stop moving and quit, whether it's move forward and improve by going to bed earlier or getting your homework done or deciding to have a plan about eating. So you're deciding to move forward and take action or you're quitting and not taking action and is being left with whatever happens to you. Hopefully we've had, well, in every instance, we've had these kids, they started with us either when they were younger or in middle school or maybe early in their high school year. So we do, you know, the coaches and I will develop a level of rapport and trust that we're getting them better and they'll see themselves getting better physically. So they understand that what we're asking them to do, you know, legit works. They see the physical results. So they, you know, they build some trust there when they come to having them play at a higher level. I usually, I'm usually more authentic and exposed and I'll say, Hey, I never got to play. So I'm trying to pour everything I can into you. So did I play at a college at a high level? No. If I talked to college athletes and seen and worked with them, yes, here's what I'm learning. And I'm trying to con- have conversations with them where you build this relationship. And I'm going to say, I'm going to push you to do these things that no one wants to do so that you're used to it. So that when you're in pain later, you don't want to stop. When you see this resistance, you don't want to stop. So people that are wrestlers like you or Zach, those have always been the best ones in our gym because their pain threshold is so high. They're used to having their face smashed into the ground. So having them put a barbell in their back and squat, they're like, oh, okay. Whereas others are not. So working with a wrestler is actually is usually pretty easy, but the, the mental strain of wrestling at the high level or playing football or, or soccer or whatever. Like, have you seen Oklahoma State's walkout for a one-on-one dual meet? There's 15,000 people. The lights are going on, and it's one-on-one in the entire atmosphere. It's your ego and ability and identity versus someone else. Just to walk out there, you have to be mentally strong. So I'm going to tell them. I'm going to give them information why we're doing this, what the stimulus is looking to be, but also what the stimulus, what their head is supposed to be. So how do we do that? I try to quantify things. So in a sprint, it's always somebody versus someone else or you versus your old time that I'll pull up. If it's an accessories, let's say it's four by 10, I don't know, dumbbell skull crushers. I'm going to say, well, you did four by 10 at 25s last week. You have to do at least something better this week. One set must be at least 11 reps or maybe one set is at 30 pounds. But somewhere along the way, you have to push one of these sets up and evolve. Otherwise, you took a loss for that day. If you can push it up in two areas, you take you get two wins. So when you see the same accessories for four weeks in a row, your approach is you have to win this next week versus the prior week in some way, shape, or form, right? And then if, if it's a if it's a deadlift and they're straining, let's say it's a trap bar deadlift, and I'll say, hey, why'd you quit so early? He said, well, it felt heavy. I said, well, the bar was still moving up. So I give them another quantifiable target. I'll say, you have to pull for four seconds. 
or pull for five seconds. And they'll say, okay, so I don't think it'll be pulling as hard as I can. So if it's still going up, it's going to happen in the next four or five seconds, right? So if I can quantify and give them a target, right, then, then you know, they can actually work towards something. And then there has to be the carrot and the stick, right? You know, Bill Parcells would say you are what the scoreboard says you are. You are what your squat says you are, your 40 time, how you do on your homework. So you are what your scoreboard says you are. So you have to try to win things. So can you get here early and do extra form rolling? That's a win. Can you write down how, can you measure your hydration every day and, and check that? That's a win. If you can win all those things more and more than everybody else, you get in the habit of winning the process, not just playing on Friday nights. And if I get them to buy into winning the process every day, then I'm really trying to build that mindset. And it translates once they're out of college too. You can win their process at work. Maybe they're a school teacher every day of getting prepared and doing all the little things, then you win. Doing the little things when you're sick and your spouse is sick and your kid's sick, but you're still having to perform. Those are times when you have to win. And that is the mindset we try to instill and build. It's a long process and it's every day. Yeah, I, I will say, I mean, I didn't, I wish I would have found wrestling sooner. Um and that is, that's no one's fault. It's not my parents' fault, not my fault. I mean, wrestling in my area just was not prominent during my time in high school um, or even before then. But I do think that having a very tough mental sport like that has made a lot of things easier in life when it came to, you know, taking the risk of starting a business, taking a risk of stopping my full-time job to do the business full-time, taking the know the risk to try to keep the business going during COVID or you know continuing to work hard while my wife had cancer like those are not easy mental things that you can't you can't ever really truly prepare for them because you ultimately don't want those things to happen to you but tough life circumstances are going to happen at some point to everybody it's just a matter of when and how severe and then ultimately how you handle that the the more you've been through the more that you can withstand and wrestling I think taught me that a lot of while my coaching staff that I had was not the greatest. I will say they knew how to push people. If there was anything they knew how to do, it was to get the most out of every single person that was in that room. Cause 90 plus percent of us didn't know what wrestling was until we were freshmen. Mm. And I feel like our, our culture that we had when I was there changed to what now Terre Haute South has from a culture perspective. Now they have athletes that can wrestle because now they can start younger, but that mental piece was still kind of kept there. And then now kids are coming up mentally strong, but also good wrestlers and doing the little things that matter. Like you said, just working with wrestlers, even when I helped at Purdue, that's the easiest group to work with. You just tell kids to go run Mackie stairs with a partner on their back. They're like, okay. Yep. And like that is, that is daunting of a task to ask two 20 year olds to do. But when you've been grown up and in that, I guess, culture that wrestling has, it builds that mental toughness. And that's what gets people there. I think many sports, that's why I try, I don't know about you, but whenever I see young kids and they're like underdeveloped in terms of size, um, they're just not big, they're not tall, they're not fast. I always try to push them towards wrestling. Cause like, if you're showing up here and you're working hard in the weight room, you've got the work ethic that I want to see. You will be good at wrestling. If you just put your head down and do it. And it's one of the few sports where I think you can truly outwork your opponent on a mental side and get wins, which is a lot harder to do in team sports. Like you said, the one-on-one thing, it's you and one other person. You can't blame the ref, can't blame your coach. 
you either hit the move or you didn't, or your opponent hit the move and you didn't counter it. Uh, it's very objective, in my opinion. There are calls that can go either way. But from a mental side, I guess, how do, do you, how does your conversation change with females? Because that's kind of covers wrestling and football. I'm interested to hear how that conversation changes with a little bit. I don't want to say that women are soft because they're not, but there is definitely a different communication barrier that has to happen between female athletes versus male athletes. It's all going to start with, you know, what is your why, which is written on the, on the, one of the support beams in our gym. And if a female comes to me and I I have one, she's like, I want to play rugby at the Naval Academy for a couple different reasons, but that's one of her goals. And so I'll say why, and she'll tell me, and then I'll say, well, why is that important? She'll tell me, I say, why is that important? So I can, you kind of gauge in that first round of questions about their why, how committed, how much they thought through it, they are. And then with both athletes, male and female, I'll say, well, this is what I envision this taking. And Tony Robbins always says success leaves clues. So we'll just pull up and I'll say, all right, so what do female rugby players look like in your position? Let's let's do some research, come back to me and go on ESPN's website or wherever else and find stats. Are they this tall, this, this weight, whatever. So then you become a ballpark. And then I'll ask the same people, what do you think their mentality looks like when it comes to wins and losses or being in pain and suffering and, and persevering? And I'll, they'll tell me that. And I say, well, then I have to get you to do that and then a little bit more because we're probably wrong. We're making an estimate. So we're going to over-engineer it a little bit and get you to suffer a little bit longer, get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, a little bit more diligent. Where I'm probably not great is that I'll probably have the same language with the males and females, whether it's uh, cussing or not, unfortunately, right? But I'll always follow up with, I'm going to care enough about you to try to push you forward. I'm doing the best I can to do that, and this is how I know how to do it. If someone comes to me, and I've seen males and females come to me, and maybe they're upset. Maybe they're, maybe they're crying about something, or they're mentally hurting that day. That's not a conversation I'm going to have in front of anyone else, so I'll pull them aside and say, probably in my office, say, you know, what's going on? And then it usually has nothing to do with training, right? It's something about a boyfriend or girlfriend or someone with a problem with their parent and they were being yelled at or got in trouble. Maybe they made a mistake and they got, you know, big trouble. So if I hear them, you know, I understand that they're going to go through that. And I say, well, the minimum goal is to check the box and get the minimum work done today, right? Because you're here. The stretch goal is to still operate at your normal high level probably not nearly as likely in the middle we're looking for x so we're going to check the box get the minimum and maybe work for a, a little bit beyond that but hitting a new pr today let's not push that i hit a new uh time a speed uh time trial time let's not push that either because sometimes you're going to have to perform at the naval academy not as a rugby player but in the Navy and somebody could be shooting at you and you got to make a call on a submarine, right? And you might not be feeling well, but you still have to make the call and then it's life and death. Or you're really trying to win the game just in rugby. It's more severe consequences than just a Tuesday at Unbreakable Athletics. So you still have to understand that though you are hurting, the goal for you and your team still supersedes and you must push forward. And here's how we're going to do it. And I'll be there with you so that they have a teammate. 
I just try to empathize a little bit more and hear them and get them to buy in a little bit. And then when they make any kind of successful move, hey, nice job in that squat, or they get through that whole day, I come up and, you know, I'll say, hey, you know what? Not for nothing. I'm, I'm proud of you. The mental PR that you just had today, you're not going to see on the app or how you track your notes, but these are the ones that push you forward and keep you so that when you're faced with adversity again, you then have the confidence because you earned the confidence because you just went through this. This is the part I'm most proud of you of for doing, not what you lifted. This is the part that matters most. Right. Yeah. And something I like there that you talked about too was like building their confidence, even when they're maybe not in the best mental or, or physical mood. Um, I would say we, interestingly enough, we actually have more female athletes than male sports athletes in our facility. And I think that's twofold. One, I think women are more coachable just in general in, in anything, sport, life, whatever. I think they, they genuinely want to please the people that they work for more than guys. And they, they're not boastful about being accomplished as much as guys or guys have their egos tied to things and to be able to outsource and reach out for help on stuff, regardless of whether that's sports performance training, like we do or mental training or nutrition, it's just very hard for many guys to say, I don't know, I need help. And that's a very, ego hitting piece. And I think maybe that's why girls respond so well to um, positive reinforcement. And they said, bringing up confidence and showing that you care about them because they know if you care about them, they're going to give what they have because you're investing back into them and they're, that's what they want. They want the, essentially they want the help to be better. Um, Would you say that, it's fair to say that I'm not sure how many, how, what your demographic split looks like there with males and females, but would you agree that it's probably easier to coach females than males in your experience? You know, on average, you know, whether it's an adult or, uh, you know, a student. So you're right. The ego isn't as prevalent, you know, usually even with the CrossFitters, some of the females will be worried that they look silly making, doing some things with a barbell because they've never done it before. So, there's a, a risk there once they're comfortable that most people look silly because they're just trying to, and that and looking silly is expected in the norm. And that's cool. At least they're not sitting at home on the couch. Then that's, they're, they're ready to move forward with the guys. It's a, you know, measure and dick thing. Right. So, you know, is that guy squatting two or 300 pounds more than me or benching more than that? Oh man, I look like, I look like a wuss. So I'm not, I'm not coming there. Right. So you see that on the adult side, but not always. And you see that on the, with the kids' side, too. Like, we have one of our sports performance coaches, Haley. She's excellent. Went to school for it. And her whole family coaches, um, her last name is Spencer. So they're out of, um, you know, Putnam County. And their parents and grandfather are all, all were coaches. She played D2 volleyball at um, Washington University in uh, St. Louis. And her team won the national title. And during that uh, title run, during the uh, tournament to win it, she was named all tournament team. And so she worked with college athletes right out of college and then high school athletes. So, but there's plenty of, you know, adult, or there are plenty of boys that come in and are working with her and they're like, oh, well, she's a girl. What, what does she know? I'm like, she's 5'10 and grabbed a rim, bro. Like, <laughs> 
she she, they, she had a she had a ring on her finger finger for winning the whole thing, and uh, she knows how to get you faster and better. So you know, pay attention, or she might just beat your ass anyways. But uh, so yeah, you'll you'll find that with everybody, and so you have to build more trust. And even with some of the crossfitters, when they see that some of our female coaches that are in their forties and they can pull three hundred, like I have a fifty year old that can pull three hundred, like it's pretty good. Or I have a female that could, you know, bench 200. Like that, that's pretty good. And there's normal size soccer moms that are 45 years old. Like, okay. So you have to earn some trust with some performance, but also with your knowledge. And then when you point out what we're doing and how it benefits them, you just have to spend more time building that. And then some never believe in you and that's okay. And we're not a good fit, but most end up doing it. So you give them enough data, then they'll let, they'll come around, you know, and that's the real, that's the real art with the coaching that you don't get in the books, right? It's how can I give this cue or speak to this person and get performance, whether they believe me or not, whether they're in a mood or not, or an emotional state or not. That's that's just human relations and basic psychology trying to get to uh, reach people that way and get them to move forward. Yeah, yeah. They the the communication piece of how you talk to people on any given day is definitely going to be a a factor in terms of eliciting performance whether that be positive negative knowing when to shut stuff down i think the nice thing about working with athletic based populations is more cases than not people want to push through things but there are like you said some people that some days they just want to pack it in uh they don't want to try to get what they can out of it but if chances are what I try to tell many kids, especially that day, hey, you've already made the hardest part. You walked through the door. You yep. showed up today. So you're already here. You're clearly committed to being here physically. So let's just get the mental piece to kick the hey, it may have not been a good day at school or you know, with your boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever's going on, but that's outside of these four walls. Keep it outside of these four walls. You could still have a great freaking training session. You could still hit a box jump PR. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do that are in the four walls that don't have to be limited by what happened outside of these four walls. It just literally comes down to how much you want to commit to it. Cause I'm, I'm sure you could probably relate to this. I've had days where I've hit PRs where I, when I walked in the gym, I would, did not plan on taking a PR attempt that day. Just was not feeling it, but when things get warm enough, things get greased in the groove. Sometimes from a mental standpoint, you, you almost feel like you, you get close. You almost feel like you need to win. And sometimes if you, pull your head out of your ass. You can get a mental win and a physical win at the same time. Um, and how we talk to the kids can sometimes help them realize that. Cause I think too many kids just don't know their actual true physical potential until they actually have to, again, pull it out of their butt and actually do it. Um, and that's where the communication on, in our front is important of showing that we believe in them, not only mentally, but Hey, physically you can, do this because you've been here for so long or we're writing your training program. We're not going to give you something that we don't think is not obtainable, right? We're not going to give you a daunting task that you can't meet. We're going to find something that's just outside your comfort zone. So you can meet it, which kind of brings me to my next question here is that when you're trying to reach and strive for these goals with kids or even the CrossFit athletes, how, how fast do you try to pick things off? I guess is how, how quickly are you wanting to try to excel athletes? Are you more of a, a slow cooker or 
from a business perspective, I know this is something that's kind of important too, is that, you know, you've only got somebody for 12 weeks. So you really try to reach, I guess, when you're looking at trying to help kids obtain certain goals, uh, I'm curious how you look at how you try to attack those goals, either from a long-term athletic development standpoint or from, hey, you've got 12 weeks till season starts go. So the answer is going to be it depends, and the answer is probably going to be both. You know, from the CrossFitters, when you're doing the conjugate programming, when you only see a max out on a sumo deadlift every six or eight weeks, you're probably going to PR. So most of your max effort days, you're hitting a, a small PR because you haven't seen it for so long. So that, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays, well, I, I probably don't want to miss those days because I'm probably going to be going home with a, with a gold star and feeling good about myself. And it same same approach with our with our with our kids because they'll be maxing out or working up to something like that. So also if the kids come in three or four times a week and they've been doing it for years, then they're obviously in and they're used to what we're doing. So all right, let's go. Um if it's someone newer and they move move by they move like Bambi on ice, well, them just moving correctly is a huge PR. And when they're so new or such a beginner, they'll PR all the time just because they suck so bad at first that squatting with a bar on their back is a huge PR. And then putting fives on each side is a huge. So they'll be hitting the new folks are hitting PRs all the time because they just, the bar is set so low. Then I have some folks that come in and they're like, yeah, um, I'm, I applied to the fire Academy. It's in six weeks. I haven't, I've been on the couch <laughs> yeah. and I, and I laugh and I, I say, you should go, ask if you can push your start date back because that's just six weeks is, you know, water and the wine. So I have to give them some expectations. The best athletes are the ones that train year round when they're not heavy in their sport, they're going to make more physical gains. And if they're in their sport, to your point, they can handle more than they're probably doing. And especially if you're not playing much. So if you're, on the varsity football team, but you're not playing well, you didn't play Friday. And the fact that they didn't train you much on Wednesday and Thursday leading into Friday means you didn't really do a whole lot of volume at all. So you should be lifting. You should be developing yourself on the side more because you haven't been under any, under any stress. So you're not really in that much season. You're doing some practices and lifting a little bit, but if they think you're playing all the time and they're training you like that, but you're not playing, then you need to make up for all the gap that's being widened right now since you're not that active. So you need to fill that gap with getting stronger and faster. So with my own son, Jack, he would train before school and then go to school and then do whatever they're doing over, over in the weight room, which wasn't much, and then go to practice. And then he put into playing more and more. So by more and more, by his junior and senior year, he was the only kid that could, play both ways the whole game and sometimes even special teams in football. That doesn't happen just because you're not born that way. He handled enough volume for the years leading into that, that playing both ways on Friday nights was the standard. So when you say running those bleachers for those wrestlers, well, they're used to that standard and that level of volume so then they can handle it. So the answer is it depends. As the athletes progress, I'll give them more. And if they're not there, then they can't handle more. Otherwise, they just get injured. So it's a give and take with all of them, right? And it's easy to say and hard to do because you have all these different athletes. But if they can handle more, we'll give it. If they can't, we definitely won't. Yeah. I, from a athletic development standpoint, I'm 
you're a little bit older than me. So I think you've seen more athletes. You've seen different times of athletic development from different ages. Obviously you've got uh, your sons at ball state. So you've kind of seen a good variety of athletes from several um, different generations of kids that have came through. What do you think uh, is the number one difference between say kids that were playing sports in the early nineties versus kids that are playing in the sports now? Well, the, the volume requirements from their sport alone is magnified tenfold. tenfold. So the travel teams, they're playing their sport all the time. So with given the workload that the body is going under, they're not developed enough physically to handle the load. So when you asked about how much volume am I giving the kids in the gym, I can only give them what they can handle. Well, a lot of times in their sports, they're given so much volume and they're not physically able to, to handle it. So the throwers are having all the dead arm and Tommy John and tennis elbow issues and the rotator cuff problems. All the males and females and more females are having the ACL tears because they're quad dominant and their hamstrings and glutes are, are weak. The volleyball players, since they're in that overarching position, they're low, they have low back issues because they have to develop their back and glutes and hamstrings to prevent to protect them because they're still going to be in that arched low back position. They're just not developed. So since the volume of their sport has increased so much and their ability to build the strength of their frame to handle it, you see the injury uh, rates going through the roof. So if I can just bulletproof their body and keep them strong enough so they don't get injured, I'm pro that kid's probably winning because he won't he or she won't have a six to nine to twelve month setback. If I can actually get them strong, then they're they're playing in college and they're strong and fast and they're probably playing college at a high level. So to answer your question, a lot of volume with their sport and not enough structure to help prepare them for it. So I would say I I would try to think how I want to word this. Um the I would say that the the volume curve of preparedness has inverted. Would that probably be the best way to say it? That back in the early 90s, so we'll say 20, 30 years ago, general physical preparedness was very high because kids were out just doing random stuff outside being kids. They didn't have cell phones, video games, all the extra things that are sedentary for mental stimulation. If they wanted mental stimulation, they had to go outside and get it with their friends yep. um, or read a book. And now that's like I said, inverted to where now they're not doing that, which back then also sports didn't have all the specialty. So you had the very high base, very high generalization preparedness that was unstructured. And then as you got into sports, it became structured, but your preparedness exceeded the preparedness that you needed to have. So therefore you could focus on skill when you went to basketball, baseball practice or basketball practice, whatever. Now it would be the opposite that they do not have the physical preparedness and they're trying to make up for that by doubling down on skill development when they're not physically ready for it. Is that probably the best way to word that? Yeah. So whether you look at powerlifters or bodybuilding or the CSCS or, or CrossFit, most of them have that basic pyramid where the base is your nutrition and then GPP is right there on top of that with your general physical preparedness. You know, then there's moving correctly your body with gymnastics and then 
building strength and then power and speed and then your sport at the top. And now you, what, what you just said being inverted uh, for a lot of folks or a lot of kids, at least the pyramid is turned upside down. They're still doing some, well, I'm sure they're not, the nutrition is probably worse. They're yeah. less physically prepared with their GPP and they're playing their sport all the time. So almost to a T the, the pyramid is turned upside down. Then you'll have a lot of strength coaches saying, Hey, we're doing speed and agility. Because that's a safer word to say is speed or it's more catchy, but you develop speed by developing more force and forces, you know, strength. So they'll be doing more speed work than their strength work and they're inverted there as well. So they have a lot less return on investment or injuries, or they tap out and plateau a lot earlier than they probably should. Yeah. Yeah. And the kind of last thing going off of that is obviously you work with a wide variety of people, especially sport athletes. Um, Let's talk about dealing with parents. So you clearly are a parent, your son's in Ball State, like we mentioned. Uh, I'm sure you've trained a couple of his friends, classmates, et cetera. You've kind of seen how his developments went um, through 10 years of unbreakable. Uh, When it comes to parents, I guess, what, uh, how do you have conversations with parents about this? Because I'm sure as uh, we both know, that they are highly, highly misinformed and they're kind of sold this golden ticket that their kids, the kid that's going to Vandy or whatever to play baseball. Uh, how do you handle those conversations with parents in terms of giving them real expectations, but also helping educate them on what really needs to happen for their child to see the most success, not only physically with you, but also mentally after the school days are done but that's a real that's a real challenge and obstacle you know between my wife and me we have six kids you know four girls two boys and they've all been active at some point in playing a sport some all with different various degrees of success but when you're dealing with parents one i'm probably lucky if i get to have the conversation a lot of times they'll already make their assumptions or their guesses or they'll go off what they're told from their travel teams, coaches, or their main teams, coaches, and then that's it. So if I'm even lucky enough to have a conversation, that's it's a lot rarer than I would like to admit, unfortunately. When I actually get to talk to the parents themselves, it's like I'm dealing with an athlete that doesn't quite trust or believe me yet because they probably shouldn't. So you have to go, you have to bring them through a lot of the education and the process and build that trust of why this is important, why this isn't. And I could build my case by showing them statistics with ACL tears or hurt shoulders and such. After a few more years of them being within the sports, they'll start to see it themselves. And now I have data where even the kids that we would train, they're in college now. And I'll ask them, I said, I did a whole bunch of surveys with our college athletes that are playing like D3 or D2. And I would say, hey, why aren't you playing D2 or D1? It's not a criticism, but what's the limiting factor? And then typically they'll say, well, I just wasn't the physical unit that those other people were. Like I had the skill set, but you know, I can't hit the ball to the fence like they can at that size or at, at that level. So usually the limiting factor is this. So I can go back to parents and say, Hey, here's all these kids that playing at some level. And they'll still tell you that if they would have trained more physically, they had been even better. So when I have to talk to parents, I'll say, 
I give them this analogy that when I was a kid, no one did the strength and conditioning. Those, those gyms really weren't around and we all just did gym class and we played different sports and the limiting. And then the way you advanced was that if you were good at your sport, maybe you made the travel team for say basketball or, or baseball. And then you got an extra two to six weeks of reps and that's what made you great. And uh, that's how you got to play in high school and the best people in high school play in college. Well, now everyone plays travel. So that limiting, that that separator is now gone because one, the travel leagues are watered down since there's so many. Yep. But since everyone's playing, then everyone's playing. So I said, so what if the one thing that everyone isn't doing is what I offer? It's self-serving for me to say that, but it's true that if you got your kids stronger and faster than no one else is doing it, then you're probably going to win there. And if I could actually just change their nutrition a little bit, then you're probably winning yeah. by a big way. And then I'll ask them this. Just tell me who the fastest and the strongest kid is on the team, and they'll tell me. And I said, well, that's not your kid. What if I made that person that? What if I simply made them the fastest and the strongest? Are they going to have a better shot? They'll say yes. And I said, well, if you come for three or four times a week for four months and they're not better, I'll, we'll measure it. I'll give you your money back. Because there should be accountability, so they got to come at least three days a week. But if they don't, if they average it and they're not faster or they're not stronger, here's your money back because winning matters, and that's what we're trying to teach. So here you go. And that's yeah, how I, that's how I handle it. There's um, there's something to be said for too, like you said, the the commitment side of things. I, I'm sure I don't know about you, but this time of year for us is usually like our uptick. In terms of business, usually once October, end of October, early November starts to hit, you know, we start to see an uptick because it starts to get cold enough outside to where you either having to do indoor stuff to keep playing or you have to do a winter sport. It's really kind of the option. And so the one trick ponies or what used to be the one trick ponies will now start to come to us. as, Oh, my kid needs to get faster and stronger for the spring for when we have spring ball. And the big thing that I try to let them know early on is like, you know, we've got an initial three months. One, that's to guarantee that we're going to get you the results that you wanted. We're going to ensure that we can get your results. Because you only show up one month, as you and I know, eight training sessions ain't going to do anything. Honestly, you you could have just took your money and just burn it on fire at that point. (laughs) I mean, I hate to say that, but that's just really, you could have done anything else with that money and probably seen a better return on investment than eight workouts. But if you come three, four months, you're going to see some improvement. But now the thing is you're going to go play and then you're going to stop coming. And at the end of your season, you're going to ask where that speed and power was that you had at the beginning of season. Well, you didn't train it. So it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. You've you've got to keep it and keep training it even whenever you're playing. And what we try to tell too is for the smaller, younger athletes, even if you just come one day a week, because we want you to play multiple sports, you come one day a week and like you said, you work on your rows, your lunges, your jumps, your throws, do some extra abdominal work, whatever. That's going to go a long way when you're 10, 11, 12 years old and you stack those days up week after week after week after week. And then eight months later, when you bump up to twice a week, boom, your results keep coming and coming. By the time you're 14, 15, you're way more athletic than anybody else on your team. You may not even be the fastest yet. You may just still be in the top three. But then once you get that big growth spurt or whatever, Next thing you know, you're catapulting in front of everybody. I think everyone doesn't realize that those those training effects stack over time, and they're really, really hard to quantify until six, eight, nine months have passed, 
and then you're like, whoa, this is impressive. But then you can stack that if you get a hold of them long enough, like we're trying to preach here, you get started early enough. You start at 10 and you go to your senior 18, eight years of training. Holy crap. Imagine what that would do for any athlete one to two days a week of training until they're 14 and then two to three from 14 on. Like it's that's easy. a lot of workouts. It's absolutely easy at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I would not worry one bit about that kid playing if he came when he was, I don't know, seventh grade in six years. Yep. And train with us three, two, two, three, four times a week. I wouldn't guarantee they play in college, but pretty close, at least at D3 school. Like that, yeah. that, that's not hard. That That is yeah. not hard. That's easy. Yep. I said, we're at the point now where we're on year five. We're five years, so we're technically on year six. And we've got some kids that are seniors now that have been coming for several years, and all of them are going to college so far. Sure. There's not a single one that's not. They're yep. either already committed or they're in the process of talking and they're just trying to, you know, figure out which one's the best fit. Um, yeah, that's very – and there's been some eighth graders that we've had as well. Uh, one started football recently with the football team, so we don't have him at the moment. But he came for three years straight. And, like, watching that kid, like, I would be very hard-pressed. The only reason he would not play in college would be because he's choosing – he's very good academically. He's going to put his academics over his athletics. But that would be the only reason. Cool. Like just watching him move in the weight room, it's like there. I've never seen any seventh or eighth year old kid move like that in my facility. But he started when he was in fifth grade, so it's easy then. Yep. Everyone overestimates what they can do in a few weeks, and underestimates what they can do over four or five years. And that yep. there's nothing that's going to beat the compound interest effect on your health, on your, on your learning, or your relationships. So if you're always putting in a little bit each day, even those those days when you know you're going to suck ass and you just take a, a failing grade of a 50%, you do three or four of those in a couple months versus the zeros you could have taken, you're so far ahead. If you get some days when you're in the 70 to 80% range versus the 50s, you're so far ahead. Because all those times other people are saying, well, I'm just not going to go today because I can't do this. I'm like, well, okay, you just took a zero and you reinforced your zero mentality. Come and get get some minimum wins. And then so your standards are still here at, at the halfway point. And then next thing, you know, a year or two later, your standards are always here. You just keep compounding it and raising your standard, then it's absolutely easy to move people forward mentally and physically. Yeah. And then the other issue I'm not sure that you see as well, but um, kids that do high school strength and conditioning around us, it's not ran well. I'll just say that. Um, I'm sure Plainfield has a, an okay program at least. It's got to be better than ours. There's no way it can be worse than ours. But trying to get kids to understand that just because you've got strength conditioning at school with how short your class periods are and what you're doing, you're literally doing the bare minimum. Sure. And all the other kids in the classroom are essentially doing the bare minimum. They're probably trying to get the most out of it. That's fine. But all the other schools that you're competing against are also doing that. So like you said previously, you're all in the same playing field still. You're going to have to do something extra whether that's with paid professionals like you and myself or going in early in the morning and getting your main lift done and then doing your accessory work during the class day or, you know, after practice is over, you go to a facility like ours and you're literally just working on your sprint mechanics and some extra accessory work because that's the stuff you're not getting in school that can bridge the gap for what you need. Uh, Do you happen to see that as as well? Well, It's hard for the, High school coaches, because simply from the volume alone, they might have 70 or 80 kids in a yeah. session that they have to train. So 
even though they're they're trying to do well, it's that could be challenging. Center Grove seems to have made some nice strides. I think they're even doing with their middle school. They're introducing strength and conditioning, and those those teams have performed well. But the phrase is still the phrase, like, it takes what it takes. All right, so what it took you to bench 135, it takes more to bench 225. It takes more. And then there's no getting around the math. If you're still just doing the same amount of volume and work, you're not going to progress. And if you're doing the same amount of volume and work that everybody else is doing on your team or in your community, and you're trying to stand out and be elite, if you're trying to stand out and be an all-state or in the college all-American, and everyone's doing X, there's no way that you're doing the same amount as everybody else is going to have you stand out enough to win at that high level. There's no way. It's, it's impossible. Even if academically, if you're trying to be in the top 1% so you get an, an academic scholarship, it takes more and it takes what it takes. So people get upset because they have an expectation or they make a hypothesis or just a guess that it takes this amount of work. Whoever makes that guess, I make that guess as a coach, it takes this amount of work to move move you with your stimulus. And they get upset that this amount of work didn't equate to this amount of success. They assume this amount of work would get them here, but maybe it didn't. Well, we just made a guess, right? So we're, we we improved you, but if you're trying to be here, then it, it might take more work to get you to here. And maybe here is where it evens out and it's one-to-one ratio. They get upset because their workload and expectations doesn't translate to their successes. And they say, well, I should have this or this just owed to me or I've done some extra work. It's funny, like, I ate well for one day and I got on the scale and I didn't lose weight. What the hell? Well, (laughs) uh, so it takes what it takes. And if it takes more then there's no getting around it, you need to be stronger. You need to be faster. You need to dial in your nutrition and your mindset and all these things to be at that level. And if you're not that level, it's cause you don't have it. Yep. Yeah. Have you, that reminds me, have you seen the video from Jordan Syatt where he takes the little eyedropper of water and puts it in a wine glass? No. So he uses this analogy for weight loss, but I try to use it with kids when it comes to training now too, that every day that you show up and train, you take that little eyedropper and you put one drop into a wine glass, one individual day, two individual days. You don't really see anything. There's nothing there, but over the course of two months, four months, eight months, and he swirls the glass around. He's like, now you actually have water. There's noticeable change. There's, the small investments that you've made have physically added up to matter that matters. And that's how you have to treat each individual day from he was saying nutritionally, which is definitely a very good example as well. But I also use it for training and everything else that if you just, like you said, win the day is that one drop, right. if you do that over the course of a year, now you've got four ounces of water in your water glass. Now you compound that over six years, you got a gallon, nobody that did any of that, they still got an empty wine glass. Who do you think is going to be, you know, the better athlete? Probably the one that's making the small deposits extra that they're should be doing if they want to go to the next level. So um, plus, plus they have the confidence going on the court or on the field because they earned it. Cause they know they yeah. did too much extra work. Hey, I'm, I'm ready. If I'm not ready and then no one else is as ready. Right? right. So you do so much extra work. You walk on the field. You're like, okay, let's go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the direct questions I had for you. I guess, Jim, let me know what's next for Jim BB and Unbreakable uh, and also the athlete builder that you are working on. Gotcha. So 
10 years in, it's time to continue to scale and grow so we can expand our reach. You know, I'm going to be 49, almost 50. And uh, I want to impact more and more people. I'm only have so much time here to do it. And so to either scale is either open more gyms or expand regionally, locally, nationally, in other ways. So I'm not going to open more gyms. I have the one that I have right now, and I like it. I love it a lot. I like working there, having our 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 lab, our scientist, our, our little mad scientist approach to getting people better. But I have that piece. And then what we're doing with athlete builder is the content piece where I want to take our philosophies, everything, our knowledge and add more information that I pick up from other folks and distill it back out to our athletes. So those at our gym and those, you know, nationwide. So our podcast athlete builder launched today it's on all the channels in, in YouTube. I'm publishing two books in the first and second quarters next year uh, on the same topic. We do remote coaching and then we do in-person workshops and clinics. And then there's a video course on our, our approach to, to developing athletes for working with them in the high school and college level. We can work with teams or individuals. So all the books that we read that I've read and worked with our team, all the seminars, all the podcasts, all the coaches I talk to, I just keep taking more and more information, whether it's from a college textbook or talking with Tom Barry and keep taking that information and distilling it and funneling it into a process because I what I like to do is take my business school approach from in the finance days of analyzing and coming up with processes. And then I just approach it so the kid or the adult is the, the company. How can I take this asset and build it systematically? And so I take all this information from these folks and then I just design a roadmap and a plan and, and I apply it that way. So we're expanding and scaling nationwide by offering those different services and products and dealing with people that way. So that's my approach and I'm going to keep living until I decide I can or I'm told I can't and uh, until I retire. So it's, me, my wife, my kids, Jesus, and the dogs, and uh, getting people better. Awesome. I love it. Uh, so if anyone's trying to find uh, Jim online, Jim, where can they find you on Instagram and all that kind of stuff? Sure. So the gym's going to be everywhere, Unbreakable Athletics Academy, whether you're on the website or Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter, I think even TikTok now, which completely foreign to me, but you know, I'm old. <laughs> then athlete builder we're same deal so the podcast is there and the website's coming out so that'll be athlete-builder.com but you'll see it also uh all the social media outlets so athlete builder or unbreakable athletics academy that's where you can find uh, what we're doing fantastic all right well i will have all that linked in the bottom in the show notes or description depending on how you're uh, absorbing this so you can find all that um like i said i've known jim a long time now and it's always good catching up with you, talking shop, uh, being on your podcast a week or two ago, whenever that was, it already seems like it's flown by. Uh, it was also a good conversation as well. So if you want to see more of the mentality stuff, we talked about that on his podcast specifically, uh, how I kind of approach that from my end. Um, but if you also happen to be in the Indianapolis area, especially Plainfield, I would check out Jim's facility. It's awesome. Like you said, 10,000 square foot, lots of space. If you're into strongman powerlifting, uh crossfit definitely hit him up i would not recommend anybody else in that area um you got anything else for me jim i appreciate the time always good catching up and uh let's just keep moving forward all right
Good talking to you, man. See you. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More Podcast. Make sure you give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you like to consume your podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube at The Smitley, where you'll find clips and lots of educational-based material for strength and conditioning and exercise science. You can also make sure you give me a follow on Instagram at The Smitley or at Team Thirst, which is my gym Instagram page. For any more future updates on episode to come, you can make sure you follow me there. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you at the next episode.